Let's pray. Heavenly Father, lead us into your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, reading the lessons for this Sunday, uh, let's face it, they were a little scary, especially that whole is not worthy of me rant that Jesus went on. It brought to, to mind an event that happened about 20 years ago. We had taken the entire church out to Illumined Farms for the maize maze, the corn maze. And uh, it was out in Neva Beach. And this is a corn maze with twists and turns and scarecrows that jumped out to scare you. Everyone went into the maze and we had Costco pizza for the reward when they found their way out of the maze. Yeah. These are the days when cell phones were not smart, reception was spotty, and you had to pay for every minute that you used a cell phone. Well, I thought everybody was out and enjoying pizza, and uh, that's when my cell phone rang. I didn't recognize the number, but I went ahead and answered it, knowing I was going to have to pay for every minute. And it was a young girl from our school named Zippy, and she was with my oldest daughter, and they were still in the maze. And it had gotten dark, and it had gotten scary, and don't forget all of those scarecrows. So... The reason that story came to mind was there are a lot of people who think the church is a giant scary maze. And if they become part of our community, it's going to be like some giant cosmic lab experiment. If you do the right thing, you get rewarded. But if you do the wrong thing, scarecrows, scarecrows jump out and scare you. And even if you find your way out of the maze, the next day somebody's just going to drop you right back into the maze, except they're going to change all the paths and you've got to find a different way out. I can't promise I fully understood what the preacher was preaching when I was a kid, but what I remembered it sounded like was that if I did good, I got rewarded, and if I did bad, I got punished, and that totally matched with what my teachers at school said, so maybe that's why it's there. What confused me also at church was when the pastor said, you're saved by grace, but then the very next thing out of his mouth was, now go and do this and this and this. Seemed like an oxymoron to me. Was I saved by grace? or by doing stuff. Well, now that I'm older, I understand all this doing this and this and this isn't what saved me. Jesus did. And doing all of this and this and this was a response. It, it was something I wanted to do because Jesus had saved me. But back then, I got it all jumbled up. And if I'd had a cell phone, I just would have called my friend's dad and asked him to come in and find me and get me out of the maze so that I could go and eat pizza with everybody else. If Jesus showed up in the flesh and nail holes in his hands as his ID, um, what questions do you think he'd have for us? See, my Baptist friends think that he would want to know why us Lutherans have robes and stoles and organ and liturgy. Except with the exception of the organ, all of those things are in the Bible and they were actually God's idea, so I think he'll understand. My Catholic and Orthodox friends think that he wouldn't have any questions. He would just jump right into the Latin Mass and be right at home. My non-denom friends, who, by the way, really are a denomination, they just haven't figured it out yet, they think Jesus would give them a fist bump for their worship teams, giant video screens, coffee bar, and electronic giving. I'm not sure how much Jesus pays attention to all of our gadgets, litanies, and hymns. I think he's more interested in whether we're loving one another the way that he loved us and following his commands, which are the things that he talked about the most when he was here. And it's important those two go together, by the way the love one another and following his commands because otherwise you wind up with that whole grace versus works things. They go together, not separately. I also think he might want to know why we don't talk about forgiveness as much as he did. See, I know that there are people that want the church to get back to fire and brimstone so that you really have to work extra hard to find your way out of the maze. And there are other people that just want to say that God's love and just get rid of the maze altogether. 
but neither of those are what the Bible teaches. If there is some kind of existential reward system for navigating the maze, it comes after we're saved, not before. One of the least preached about and misunderstood doctrines in the church is levels of sanctification. Do you remember when James and John asked Jesus if they could sit at his right and his left in heaven? You'll notice that Jesus didn't turn and say, silly boys, everybody's equal in heaven. Instead, he said, those positions are not for me to give out. That's the job of my father. Now, there is no doubt in heaven there are those who are honored more than others. Not because they did more stuff, but because as they were, as God said about King David, people after God's own heart. And the important thing is that we will totally understand and accept it. We won't be jealous. In fact, we'll say, you absolutely deserve it. I mean, I know for a fact that Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and a few others, oh, yeah. I think about the guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Christian tradition, by the way, says his name was Dismas. At first, he made fun of Jesus along with Gesmas. That was the other thief. But as he watched and listened to Jesus, something in him changed. And finally, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now talk about a last-second reprieve. Just minutes before his death, God gets through to his soul. Now, when he got to heaven and the angels and archangels were there to welcome him, do you think he ran right to the front of the table, sat down at God's right hand and said, now that I'm here, the party can get started? Or do you think he stood at the back just amazed that he was in the company of Moses, David, and Abraham, Miriam, and Ruth, and Esther? See, heaven isn't your heaven or my heaven or some artist's rendition of heaven. Heaven is the presence of God. When we get there, we're going to be restored to the image of God. Notice God isn't going to be restored to our image and heaven restored to our image, but we are going to be restored to the image of God. I will finally treat you the way you deserve to be treated. I will finally see you the way that you deserve to be seen. See, you are already beautiful and holy and loved and amazing. It's just that my sin won't let me see you that way or treat you that way. If there are any cosmic rat mazes, it's not God who set them up, it's Satan. And by the way, he sets up mazes that don't have any exits. And he writes things on the wall like, well, you know, there's a limit to how many times God will forgive you for the same sin. You know, if God really loves you, why is your life so hard? How come God didn't answer your prayer? How come you're not driving a brand new Lamborghini? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why don't bad things happen to bad people? If God is love, shouldn't everyone get to go to heaven? Except, of course, that kid that made fun of you in the third grade. That's off the table. And we just keep running in circles, never finding our way out. Smelling the pizza, but not able to get to it. And Satan just keeps writing more and more things on the wall, and, and we just keep reading them. We aren't doing nearly as many baptisms as we did pre-COVID. But stretch your memory back to the last baptism that you remember, because there is this moment right before I pour the water on the, on the person's forehead where I say, do you renounce the devil and all of his empty promises? And everyone is supposed to say we do. And there's supposed to be a big exclamation point because not only we do, but I mean we really, really do. Except the moment we leave the baptismal service, and I mean all of us, the pastor, the family, the person baptized, we forget those words in our promise. And we jump right back into the maze where Satan's empty promises keep us entertained and fearful and anxious and angry for hours and hours. We can smell the pizza, but we start thinking God's playing tricks on us because no matter which way we turn, no matter how hard we try, We just can't get out. 
So why did Jesus tell stories and parables instead of just preaching all the time? You know, the very specific preaching where he said what he said and he un we understood what he was saying. It's because good stories have layers, just like ogres and onions have layers. You can settle for the top layer and leave it at that, or you can peel it back and discover something more. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The kingdom of God is like a giant fishnet. The kingdom of God is like a buried treasure. The kingdom of God is like a banquet. All of us have preconceived notions of fishnets, buried treasure, banquets, and being first or last, and we can leave it at there. Nice story, Jesus already knew that. Or we can ask, so who is who, and what is what in the story? Some of my favorite moments in the Gospels are when Jesus tells a story and it says, the Pharisees realized that Jesus was talking about them. I love it. But that's why Jesus told stories. He wants us to get all caught up and then suddenly realize the fish and the wine and the coin and the pearl aren't what we thought they were. And the hero and the villain swap places. And the moral of the story is, well, that God loves us even when we do our best to make ourselves unlovable. Sometimes we forget these stories were written before we were born. In fact, they were written before the universe was born. And yet they were written specifically about and to us. For such is the omniscience and love of God for his people. The stories teach us the truth about him and about us in a way that we are disarmed and will actually listen until we begin to see him for who he truly is. Ever got trapped in a maze of your own making? You keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you're surprised that you're not getting different results? And whether you try harder or go faster or slower, you can't get out? It's amazing what panic and anxiety and fear will do. In 1 Corinthians 10, St. Paul writes, God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. I love that verse. Except most people stop after God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. See, the truly important part is the next part where it says, He will also provide a way of escape. When panic, fear, and anxiety take over, we run right past that big exit sign, doing the same thing over and over again and wondering why things aren't different. The lights fade, the night falls, the maze gets scarier, and we start to have thoughts of giving up. And don't forget those scarecrows. In the center of my personal maze, there is always the shadow of shame of what I have done and what's been done to me. There's the guilt for all the things that I never did, but I was supposed to, especially the things I promised people. There are the faces of those who I hurt and those who hurt me. A fear that I will never be more than I was at my worst moments and the inability to give my friends and family the blessing to be anything except what they were at their worst moment. And even though it shouldn't be possible, the walls of the maze seem to grow narrower and narrower, and the path gets longer and longer. And Satan's words on the walls of the maze get closer and closer, which is why Jesus left heaven and came to earth and got born and grew up and lived and died and rose again. And Jesus did all that to show us the maze is an illusion. It's something that Satan conjured up in order to keep us trapped in our own fears and anxieties. Martin Luther once quipped, It is not God who rummages through our garbage looking for already forgiven sins to rub our noses in, but Satan. God took out our garbage and promised he would cast it as far as the east is from the way, as far as the east is from the west, which I'm pretty sure is really, really far away, and we need to leave it there. Which is why St. Paul said, If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? When the water flowed across your brow and the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
you were yanked out of the maze and set free to live and love and learn and explore God's kingdom. You belong to God. You're loved. And by the way, in his kingdom, there is forgiveness. And we dare not take it lightly. And we've proven we can really mess things up. But you know what? If Jesus can defeat sin, death, and the devil, I'm pretty sure that forgiving your sins isn't going to be all that hard for him. In Christ, you are forgiven. The whole reward and punishment system may be effective for teachers and parents and law enforcement as as to be used as a behavioral management tool. But faith isn't and never has been about controlling the community. It's about raising the dead and forgiving sinners and healing the sick and helping the angry get over whatever they're angry about and finding the lost and holding the hand of the anxious and loving those who think that they're unlovable. We follow the crucified and resurrected one. You really are saved by grace. And if you're going to go out and do this and this and this, that's great. But understand it won't make you more saved or less saved. You are saved by the grace of God. Whatever you do, do it in the name and for the sake of Jesus, just because it's the right thing to do, a response to his love, his mercy, and his grace. So back to Aloon Farms and the maze maze and the girls who couldn't find their way out. So we were walking through the maze, talking to them on our phone, paying for every single minute, but knowing it was necessary. And then we heard them, not on the phone, but in a path that was right on the other side of the corn. And so we're down to just one row of corn between them and us. We came to a place where someone had pushed the corn aside and made somewhat of a shortcut. It might have been those scarecrows looking for a place to escape and scare people. Or it's possible that somebody else, other than my daughter and her friends, weren't the first to get lost in the maze and not find their way out. We carefully pushed the corn stalks aside until they could make their way through. And then we carefully walked backwards out to the entrance where they started to eat pizza. It wasn't nearly as amazing as Jesus pulling them out of Satan's maze and the forgiveness he gave them at their baptism, but at that night, I'm pretty sure that pizza tasted pretty good to them, and so did the fresh air outside the maze. You are loved. Don't ever forget that. And if you find yourself in a maze of your own making, you don't need a cell phone. Just ask Jesus to show you the way out. Maybe there'll be pizza waiting. Maybe not. Either way, know that Jesus is there for just that, to make sure that you find the freedom that he has so willingly and lovingly bestowed on you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.